Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Armando Luna. And I'm Joan Pettit, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. This is a show where we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering, bicycling, trains and transit, adventures and life hacks, and today, bikes in service of protests and mutual aid with Dan Kaufman. Welcome, Dan. Hello. 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 Thanks. So Dan is a Portland-based musician, music and video producer, and a uh, returning Sprocket podcast guest. He's also an activist who has been um, protesting all the way back to the Iraq war protests and up to the recent Black Lives Matter protests right here in Portland. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really... Glad to be here and, and glad to talk about this subject near and dear to my heart. Well, let's, should we, um, should we jump right in and let's talk about, I mean, you, when you and I were talking about all the different ways that bikes can be used in protests, you just came up with a whole long list. And some of those were the rides themselves. And some of those were like bikes as tools almost within within a protest so i don't know which do you feel like talking about first well you know i i I do think the bicycle itself you know in a way especially in our american culture is just just riding one especially if you're riding it to commute is in itself kind of an act of defiance and protest you know, I started riding my bicycle in 2003 as an adult. I rode as a kid and and here and there, but I started actively riding in 2003 because of the Iraq war. And I felt like I couldn't do hardly anything. The, the protests themselves weren't successful. And I just felt, well, what's the one thing I can do? I can commute to work as much as possible on a bicycle. And um, so all of a sudden, you know, in the middle of March, I started riding my bike and it was very liberating it changed my life and i felt like i was just taking maybe a couple drops of that fuel of that oil petroleum which was the cause of the iraq war um that we're still in today by the way um after all these years uh yeah so i i think just just to start with riding your bike can be a real act of defiance here right and so you're not even talking about um, you know, carrying a sign or even, you know, or, or anything like that. You're just talking about using, using your bike as the method of transportation is a, is a kind of act of resistance. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, it's, I always thought of it as patriotic too, in a way, like, you know, it's a self-reliant and, uh, you know, uh, using your own energy, not needing to be, you know, dependent on, fossil fuels that are shipped from overseas, that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I do think, I, I do think just right there, the act itself is, and, and also, I think it's also liberating for your mind. It, it, riding your bike, it gets that fresh air, it gets that extra exercise and energy. It usually doesn't take you all that much longer to ride your bike than to drive. And it's just so much more free. I mean, you have time to think and you have time to dream and and come up with great things and have some time to yourself whereas when you're driving there's just so much 
to think about and and it, it feels very captive um you know it really yeah i know i know what you mean i'm 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 kind of missing that these these days now that i'm i'm working from home but it's interesting cuz i i hadn't even thought made this connection before but um you know the early sort of a uh, white feminist movement in the united states when women started um riding bikes they I mean, I can't even remember the quote, but there's, I'll find it and put it in the show notes. There's some quote from Susan B. Anthony about um, the bicycle having done more for women's liberation than any law ever could, you know, that for, for women to be able to sort of get around on their own was a way to have a kind of freedom that they, that they hadn't had before. Um, And I suppose that that's still true for many of us. If we live in, you know, car culture, getting on our bikes and being able to ride places is, is a, yeah, I like it that it's patriotic, right? Let's let's claim that yeah. for the act of riding our bikes. Right. Yeah, was that here in Portland? Uh, yes, it, it was. I actually rode to Vancouver, Washington for a job I had. And I'd ride my bike about, it was 25 mile round trip, uh, about four days a week. Uh, that, that fourth, that fifth day, I would, would maybe be too tired or not feeling well or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and that were those was, in the like the early days of Bike Summer and Petapalooza and World Naked Bike Ride and all that stuff getting started? They that was, although I didn't know anything about that at all. You know, I mean, I, and it, it took about three years before I found out about those things. Um, no, I saw a guy riding his bike. You know, I kept riding mine, driving my car to work, and I'd see this guy, and he had like a fisherman outfit on, and he was older really old you know much older than i and, and overweight and he's doing it and i saw him every day and i was like well if that guy can ride his bike to wherever he's going i can too you know so but yeah later on i found out about the world naked bike ride of course i i did know though i i had heard of the critical mass and uh, that was something that had been going for a while since the 90s and um uh, I, and I'd heard about that. And then yet later on, I found out about world naked bike ride and I had to check that out. Um, and that was kind of, I think the first time for me that I saw a real protest for, for bikes, about bikes, about the vulnerability of the human body, about, uh, dependence on fossil fuels and car and car culture and just the liberation of like, you know, uh, of clothing, you know, like there, there was that aspect too, is all, and it was fun. It was all combined as all these things combined into one. And it really kind of blew my mind. I not, never was once much of a nudist, but when I checked that out, I, I, I was like, okay, this is turning every, you know, all of our constructs about clothing and, and, and also taking the streets. I mean, it was so big even back then. And when I did, and it had gone back, much before 2006, but for when I saw, you know, it was about 2000 people and that was enough to really take over the whole road. I think I went to one that was 12,000 people. Um, Mm. And and at that point, there's not, there's nothing the police can do. There's nothing, you know, they were telling them, Oh, well, you can't do this ride. Well, we're doing the ride. It's happening. (laughs) You can either get out of the way or I try to arrest a bunch of naked people. And so that didn't happen. And it's still great. Right, Cause on. you know, they're not going to stop 12,000 cars with naked people in them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I just want to circle back. So when you decided to, to start riding your, your bike as a way of reducing 
your use of fossil fuels, you had a 50 mile round trip commute. No, 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 no. A 25 mile round trip, 12, 12 and a half a month. Okay. Okay. 25. Sorry. Sorry. But who cares? That's still like, that's still a really long, like that's hardcore. That's not like, I mean, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm a regular bike commuter and it's three and a half miles like to work. Like I could, I could walk it in an hour if I needed to, but that's, that's dedication. Uh, you you know? know, I was pissed. I was really, I, I was, <laughs> I, I was so upset about the Iraq war. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny now. I mean, we're laughing, but I mean, the people that I worked with were all like, seemed like progressive liberal minded folk for the most part, not all of them. There were some conservatives too, but everybody was like, Oh yeah, we have to, you know, we have to do this. You know, it's nine 11. You got to attack Iraq. I was like, it, it's, it's bullshit. I was like, I was like, it's clear this is all made up, you know? Oh, lo and behold. Yeah, it was, you know? And I just felt like it was a war crime and I still do. And so I was mad and I put that energy into riding my bike and, and then it blew me away because it felt good. But you know, a couple of funny things about the start of when I first started riding, not only that, I didn't have my own bike. I had this house and there was this bike that got left in the rafters of the garage and the person didn't care, didn't want or whatever. So I was riding this bike. It was the wrong size. It was weird, but I did that and that got me started. And, and I had a fisherman suit, just like my, my uh, inspiration that my uh, stepdad (laughs) that I inherited from him. And, and so I wore that and, you know, and I, oh, and I had gardening gloves. People would just laugh at me when I rolled into work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to go across the, the I-5 bridge. Right, yeah. The first time you go across that bridge, it is disconcerting because it's just a railing there and you can see the water and there's something that just says, I could just fly off this thing right now, like it, into the water. It never happened. And, but at first, I think the first time or two, I had to walk it across it, but then I went slow. And, you know, after several years, I was just flying across the bridge, you know, it was no big deal. Um, so it's definitely a little intimidating, that one. It's a it's a pretty narrow spot. Yeah. Yeah. As a brand new bike commuter, that that's that's like uh, you know, that's like pretty extreme sport bike commuting. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was. I'm still not in favor of the Columbia River crossing, especially as they've yeah, which come version? Up with it. Yeah, right? right, exactly. The boondoggle. That won't right. die. That's a zombie. Another thing to protest on a bike. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. We'll go. And we have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, so then you did that for a few years, and it felt really good. And um, and then, and then that, and then that sort of morphed into doing things like the World Naked Bike Ride. Is that right? It did. I got more and more into it, and then I, um. And then I started, after I quit that job, I started a video production company, audio and video production company, PDXK Productions. And one of the things I was really interested, it was the early days of video. I think YouTube was barely there. It was video podcasts is really was how people were doing video. And I um, heard about Zubom and uh, that that the FBI was investigating Zubom because they were thinking they were going to bomb the zoo or something like that. So I checked that out um, and did a video about, about it and did a report on it, which was the very first video I ever did. Um, 
my ex-wife edited it and she helped and she's a journalist she had a journalist background so she helped you know come up with these ideas for like zoo bomb and the world make a bike ride later on and um and help with the editing and that kind of thing so um and then i learned how to do video editing and um you know kind of i had already had a lot of experience with audio production um but it just seemed like video was the thing um, that was up and coming. Um, and I thought it was a great way to do independent journalism. Uh, and, and these stories just fit because I like riding my bike. So you had Zubom and World Naked Bike Ride and they were arresting messengers because they didn't have brakes on their fixies. Um, all these early videos, you know, if you dig way deep, deep, deep into the internet, you can find somewhere um, uh, for, on Crank My Chain and PDXK uh tv i think is what we called it yeah yeah so i was gonna say can we jump ahead to the the um protests that have been happening in portland since i guess since late may Mm -hmm. um, and are well not 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 exactly ongoing right now in the same way not not quite as big but i mean really for i mean how many uninterrupted nights in a row was it I don't remember but for several months and so can you can you talk about um kind of how you used your bike I mean you know I I went to a few protests and my bike was my transportation and it it also you know helped me uh with you know keeping a little bit of space I mean everybody's wearing masks at these protests but it helped me keep a little space during the pandemic from other folks but um but it wasn't something I was using as a you know tool other than this kind of transportation but you were you've been doing some other other kinds of things with your bike and protests yeah well you know I I heard that they needed a sound system and one of the first nights after George Floyd was executed uh, in front of everybody Uh, it was just awful to see and you know it was at the height of the we didn't know what was going on with, with COVID, but everybody showed up and um, I brought my, I brought my bike with a trailer and a sound system. Normally I would have brought my disco trike, but uh, it was broken down at the time. So I brought the sound system and uh, next thing I knew I was in the middle of a huge crowd. I was like, okay, I'm going to die. <laughs> I remember thinking, you know, like because of COVID, you mean not exactly. because of, yeah, yeah, yes, right, absolutely. Right. I, I, thanks. Yeah. I, 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 I was, you know, we didn't realize that outdoor transmission was just not a big thing. I mean, I think that's one thing that people forget when people went out for those protests, they knew full well that COVID was running rampant and we thought you could get it, you know, much easier outside than it seems to turn out. Um, and, and, you know, since then it's, it seems like, you know, they can't trace any COVID back to um, back to the, protests uh like right, any yeah, there major was just, outbreaks right there was just a another report from the that came out from the county health department re reaffirming that that they haven't had any yeah i i do remember in june on my first i mean gosh because at that point we had all just been locked down and and then um it was it was a little scary um to be out and about in such big crowds and i also remember you know, being a little intimidated and, and worried about that, but also being able to be around other people was exciting, but also it, it was scary. It was, it was a little intimidating. Yeah. It, yeah. You just it, didn't know. 
It was, yeah, it's surreal times, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I showed up my bike because that's just how I roll, you know, and, you know, again, help with the sound system. They had people like the next day with much better sound systems and, and, and people just all of a sudden were just bringing what ne- was needed, food and all these things. And so, you know, I just showed up and was, you know, kind of at the back of the march with the bikes, which is where they, because a lot of people showed up with bikes and they said, hey, just go to the back of the march. And so that's what we did. Um, but, you know, I had been at many thing, you know, many Petapalooza events and many protests from the days of Occupy's, you know, where we would cork the street so people could march safely enough and worry less about cars uh, wanting to get through. And so some people just ad hoc started to cork the marches. Um, and then that became a pretty regular activity and, and it's still something that's, that's happening even now. Yes. The, you know, there was 150 days, I think, or more straight of like, of marches and, and protests and rallies and whatnot. Um, and that's of course with, with the second spike of COVID and with the weather and the rain and all that, you know, it's things have kind of died down, but not entirely, you know, you could go to BLM events uh, pdxblmevents.com and see that there's still things happening on a regular basis, uh, a variety of different types of things that people can do. And most of them, you know, you can get there by bike at the very least, if not participate in some way or another. Uh, I know some people who just simply can't walk around March or stand for that period of time. So having a bike is, is just a great option for them to be able to protest. Uh, well, and, and yeah, and then sometimes at the marches, it's not like they're going in loops, you know, they start one place and end up another. And, uh, you know, and I think that um, there are folks who, I mean, I think it's fine to take the bus, but there are folks who, especially then, we weren't sure about taking the bus and things mm-hmm. like that. So yeah. having your bike with you made it a, a lot easier. But I think that, um, I don't know, maybe this is true everywhere, but I feel like there are people in Portland with pretty advanced corking skills with their bikes i feel like uh, <laughs> every group ride i've been on you know there are there are people who are quite skilled corkers there's a there's a, a bit of an art to it not just you know i mean i suppose you can just stand in the middle of the road with your bike but there's a, a certain confidence you have to have to get out there and block traffic and there's some ds people are really learning some amazing de-escalation skills um, and in fact, I think that's one of the most valuable things of all, you know, people, a lot of times when they're corking, you know, sometimes the people can't even see the march or what's happening. And so they're ang- why are you in the middle of the street? You know, what gives you the right, all these kind of things. And, um, you know, the last thing you want to do is agitate somebody. They may not take it out on you. They may take it out on, on the event. Um, I think what's great about corking is, is that it allows it allows people to be uh, just a bit safe. You know, there's, as you know, people have been run down in these protests going back to May. There's uh, examples of people being run down and killed in many cases, Uh, you know, knock on wood that hasn't happened in Portland with somebody being run down by intentionally by a car. Um, But I've seen just the most bizarre, awful behavior uh, from drivers, some of whom are like, I, I totally agree with what you're doing. But, you know, like then the next thing you know, they're like getting ready to run you down. Um, 
and not just you, but the other protesters. And then there are people who actually do hate what's going on and they are out to cause trouble and mayhem with their motor vehicle. Um, and, and it is interesting, you know, just to riff on this for a second more is just that it is interesting to me, these people who say, Oh, I'm in support of this, but I, I got to get somewhere. It's like, okay. And usually these, these marches have gotten smaller and, and even in the bigger ones, it still only took a number of minutes for them to pass by. Right. Or, or you just back up and go a different way. You know, like we were always trying to find ways and that was so hard for people. And it just showed to me how ingrained the car culture is and the convenience culture and that, yeah, I care about black lives, but I don't have two minutes to wait. Sorry. You know, <laughs> I'll wait. Yeah. Two, I'll wait two hours in a traffic jam. You know, but I care. I, I care when it's convenient <laughs> to care, but not when it's not convenient right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know. Um, oh, I was. Uh, so I know that over the past few years, as I've gone to different protests, Dan, I think you and I chatted about this uh, earlier in the month. But I um, I think the first time I went to a protest and, and um, uh, we ended up this is like maybe three years ago or so. And we walked across. I guess it was the Hawthorne Bridge and this march was big enough that we took over the bridge. And it was um, at first I was a little intimidated, uh, but then it was pretty empowering and liberating. And, you know, of course, people are shouting, you know, whose streets are streets. So and it feels really um, powerful to to go someplace where usually as a person by yourself walking or on your bike, it would be dangerous and you know you could get run over but when you're in this mass of people it feels it, it you know you take it over you take it back yeah. you know and it's it can it can feel really good it can feel pretty exciting and empowering yeah uh, it, and is yeah. This, would you say is this um would this be part of a pdx bike swarm or in association with or or not well, PDX Bike Swarm, um, actually, the, 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 the tactic of bike swarming came out of Copenhagen, um, the climate uh, summit that was out of Copenhagen, I think, in 2008. Um, and then Occupy Wall Street, the Portland chapter, decided to take that tactic. Um, and um, there was a couple of women who uh, wanted to... To, to use that bike tactic. And of course I was like, Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Um, so bike swarm was born out of that as a tactic that then became known as PDX bike swarm. And um, we use that a lot in Occupy. And one way that we used it that was a little different is like we would do like bike protests, a variety of different ones, or we would mess up as bikes and then, you know, kind of take the street because at that time, I mean, even though there were tens of, in one case, like 10,000 people, they would, the cops would let people actually take the street, even though it is the commons, right? Like this is our commons and we are here to protest in much greater mass than the handful of cars that can, by the way, go around. But anyhow, the, the bikes would take the street as vehicles, right? Like, so there we go. And now we got a bunch of bikes in the street and that then that had a great feel to it. So that was bike swarm. You know, you come, you put, you put sound machines on your bike or, or, or crazy uh, colors or flags and, you know, just kind of swarm around on your bike. Uh, that was a yeah, great I remember, tactic. I remember during Occupy, just, you know, the, the swarm riding around basically the back of, uh, 
uh, of the square downtown where everybody were, was camping. Yeah, it was it was a great tactic and then became a, a group, you know, um, that had meetings and actually went well into 2012. And, you know, then there was some drama there. We don't have time to get into here, but um, it did on and off was at different uh protests and um, counter protests, you know, when some of the, the fascists showed up uh, from, you know, from Vancouver, Patriot Prayer and all that. Uh, so there was a handful of times when small versions of Bike Swarm got together. And then at the, um, we kind of got to, we got Bike Swarm together a little bit during uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, marches. But, um, you know, some other things were happening and, and it just seemed like, other groups were, were doing uh, bike, uh, using bikes to cork and that kind of thing. And it just didn't seem like there was a, that bike swarm as an entity needed to be centered in any way in that. So, so, so the answer to the question is now, no, bike swarm, you know, we've done a handful of things here and there, uh, protest for, uh, in favor of the United States Postal Service, especially when it was trying to be dismantled earlier this, this summer. Um, but in general, uh, the bike corking that's happening is, uh, is, is kind of just happening organically um, okay. for these events. Um, and so, so then the other, so as, you know, the protests sort of evolved over the summer and into the fall and, um, you know, things, when we have all that wildfire smoke, I think things, everyone sort of t- took took some time to stay inside then. Um, but then uh, you have shifted to doing more sort of mutual aid kind of activities. And can you talk a little bit about, I don't know, folks might not know exactly what that means. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you've used your bike for that? Yeah. Well, one of the things is mutual aid is kind of a tenant. Mutual aid is something that we all do and it's just natural and normal for human beings in society. We take care of each other, right? Uh, it's also kind of a basic tenet of anarchism, um, which again, that we take care of each other. Um, and then it's not like charity. It's us taking care of it. you. You can help me. I help you. Um, uh, and so one thing that's been, you know, that folks have been doing for, I'm sure as long as bicycles have been around is just using that bicycle as a tool to get things that people need to help each other out. Um, you know, when they shut the water off during COVID, um, I and some other people started delivering water um, to folks because there you, you couldn't go to a public restroom. There were no water fountains. There was no way to get water. And, you know, I mean, water to me is like a basic human need and a human right. Um, and it, it blew my mind that they would just shut it down. And people in camps were told, to, you know, to stay put. So what are you supposed to do? So that was, uh, and, and, you know, we found a, uh, a dairy. Um, in fact, I should name them. It's Anderson Dairy. They donated uh, tons of, of these plastic milk jugs that were clean, you know, never used with uh, screw on caps so that we could get um, gallon jugs of water out to people. And that's just an example of kind of mutual aid. 
And that was, and that was to folks who were, who were camping in some of the parks and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Who camping in parks who didn't really have good access to water unless they knew a neighbor or somebody who would, you know, let them get, you know, use their spigot or they had, you know, knew somebody who was housed that they could get water from. It was, it was a difficult time for that. Um, And it'll difficult time for a lot of things. Um, And now what we're seeing is that, you know, even though the city has told folks, Hey, stay put, right? They're now sweeping camps, which, which just basically means like, hey, you can't be here anymore. You got to go somewhere else. Well, guess what? These folks don't have anywhere else to go. They're houseless. So, you know, recently they swept Laurelhurst, um, which I saw, you know, Mayor Wheeler said, oh, it was an example of compassionate, you know, the best, this was a great example of how to do it right. Well, I can tell you that I know that people we're there at Laurelhurst and they're figuring out, well, where do we go next? Oh, there's three spots on 33rd and Hawthorne. There's, you know, some spots. Actually, I should, should, probably shouldn't have said a location there. They'll go sweep them there. At, what happens is when you get swept, you know, you lose your, you lose stuff that you need. It's disruptive. And now you're going to be mixing up potentially with more people and that kind of thing. But where bikes come in to this and, and cars too, and any, you know, vehicles come in tools the bike is ultimately just a tool it's an amazing tool um but you know as a way to uh help people move a way for people to get down and and see what's going on with the sweeps um and just find out what people need do they need food or you need coffee um do you need something moved or stored or held or whatever and so i kind of think what may be happening right now in the and the protest scene, if you will, is that people are realizing you know, winter is coming and that's when people really die. Um, you know, it, houseless folks die because it's cold, you know. I mean, just imagine even tonight, it's, it's going to get down to probably, you know, high 30s, low 40s. Just imagine going out and sleeping outside in a wet tent, you know. Um, I don't, I'm sure I don't need to tell you this, but it... it it just seems like this is a great, it's great that a lot of the energy that's come out of these protests is now coming in to hopefully, you know, uh, create mutual aid for people who don't have homes. Yeah, because the, the, um, the, it seems like a lot of the things that are happening now are, are folks who maybe some of whom knew each other, but there seems to be a lot more organization happening now, really on behalf, I mean, on behalf of all sorts of folks um, in town, um, you know, the protest started out black with about black lives matter, but now it seems to have become a lot of mutual aid and support of folks who, who are houseless in Portland. Right. Um, In addition to continuing to be about, you know, racial justice and things like that. So that's kind of been a shift that's happened is that what you're seeing too, you know, as we, yeah, for sure. That energy that was around marching, um, you know, is really a lot of that energy is going towards, uh, you know, stopping the sweeps, um, or at least mitigating the sweeps, you know, and, and by the way, these are something that, you know, when, when this happens, the, the best way is when people, uh, make relationships with houseless folks and figure out what it is they need. Some folks in, in the in the houseless community, they're going to just move on. They do not want to be interfacing with law enforcement or anything else. They just want to be moving, moving on. And so we really need to like take their lead. 
what do you need? How can we help? And so this stop the sweeps thing is not some sort of like people coming down from on high and, and fighting, fighting the power or whatever on behalf of, of others. It's really kind of giving the kind of support that's needed and asked for. I just wanted to kind of, you know, put that in there. Um, right. That's yeah. really important. Right. Cause it's not about like, well, I need to help this person move to this thing. It's like, what kind of help does this person need? Yeah. And if, if they don't want it, that's, that's <laughs> up to them. Yeah. But yeah. I, I definitely see the energy going in that, in that direction. And, and that's heartening. Um, but we need longer term solutions where people need actual houses, you know, um, and hopefully we'll figure that out, you know, and then there's other things like the red house on Mississippi, which is uh, some folks who have a house, but they're threatened with eviction. And, you know, this is a black family, uh, Mississippi Avenue that they're, you know, they want their home so they can demolish it, and make more condos. These folks are one of the last black families uh, in on Mississippi um, and folks are camping there intentionally um, to help prevent the eviction of, uh, from going on and to draw attention to what's happening there. So I, I do see a lot of um, real good energy and the timing is very right. Well, and of course um, what, you know, I, I think there was just a report that came out um, over the past. I mean, the, when we're talking about issues of houseless folks and we're talking about issues of police brutality, these are not unrelated things, you know, that, that, I mean, what was it like some huge percentage of arrests by the Portland police are of houseless people. Right. So that it's not like it's, it's, um, you know, and, and yeah. So the the intersections abound for sure. Yes. The intersections abound. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, well, that's, um, that's really good. That's, that's good work. And you're right. The bike is, you know, it's like, it's not like you're going to be like, no, I I can't drive you because I must use my bike. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. I know you need my help, but only if I can do it with my bike, that's not exactly what it's about, but, but, you know, bikes are right. I mean, bikes are super versatile tools, whether you want to use them to, you know, bring groceries home from the grocery store or go camping or help somebody move, you know, that we can use them in all sorts of, all sorts of grander ways, maybe than it, than it seems if you're just riding around on a, you know, old 10 speed or something. A, a lot of folks in the houseless community, you know, have bikes and that is their main, you know, besides walking can be their main means of getting around if they don't have a car. Um, and we've got a lot of folks in the bike community have the tools and the know-how and the parts to help keep those maintained. You know, um, you know, I've seen folks fixing flat flats and, and doing some maintenance so that people can use those, uh, bikes that they do have. Um, so that's just one example of as a, how a cyclist, you could show up on your bike uh, with a pump and, and a wrench and, you know, you'd probably get put to, put to good use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot to be done. If you, yeah, even if you, yeah, if you have mechanic skills, you can help people out that can, that can go a long way too. I think uh, bikes for humanity yeah. held a couple events over the summer where they worked on people's bikes at no cost. Uh, bikes for humanity is just the best org. Uh, anyone is listening. Uh, if, if you uh, want to learn how, 
to do bike mechanics. You can help fix bikes that they'll then give to people who need them. And then at the end of the time that you've done learning how to become a, a better mechanic, uh, then you will actually get a bike yourself. So it's just an amazing organization. And I would encourage anybody to, to get involved. And it's a great way if, if you don't have the money to buy your own bike, then you can, you can learn it again. You can do some assembling and repair and then end up with your own bike. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So you, you basically learn how to take care of it before you even have it. Yeah. So you're a lot more self-reliant, you know, once you, once you do, once, once you have it, that's great. I didn't know, actually, I didn't know that. I didn't know about that. So that's bikes for humanity. Bikes for Humanity PDX. Yeah. All right. All right. There are lots of interesting. I mean, I feel like you can take anything and combine it with bikes. And there's some group of people doing that in Portland, like, you know, Legos and bikes. There's that, (laughs) you know, or or like, you know, you're really into playing tic-tac-toe on your bike. Great. Portland, Portland, you know, you've heard of the Portland fruit tree project. No, you know, you mentioned something about that to me, and I'm actually not familiar with it. So can you talk about that? Well, so there's fruit trees all over this city. And you may have noticed that many of them are just dropping their fruit on the ground and it just goes to rot, you know, um, uh, plum trees, fig trees, um, apple trees. Uh, so the Portland Fruit Tree Project, genius idea. People go around, pick up the fruit, and uh, you get to keep some for yourself. And then a bunch goes to food pantries and other places, people who need it. And they have a whole, a whole dedicated uh, wing or aspect of that where people bring their cargo bikes, which by the way, I think like a cargo bike of some sort is just the best for all this stuff we've been talking about. Like I've got my trike, you know, I got an adult tricycle and the big basket one and a little one in front. And so you can haul all sorts of great stuff. And this is an example where they get people with cargo bikes or trailers to show up and um and haul fruit and again great example of mutual aid and uh taking advantage of the you know the great pacific northwest and all the wonderful fruit we get here at the end of the season and then they yeah that's yeah that is that is great and i um know some folks who um there's you know friends of trees plants trees around town and um i have some friends who will who will do that by bike they you know so they volunteer with them and then, but then they, you know, yeah, get their cargo bikes and, and are, are moving, moving the trees around that way instead of necessarily driving. So yeah, that, that is, if, if there's a, if there's a way to make it happen by bike, somebody has probably tried to do that in this town. You know, like I had a guy I, in my yard that I, there's a tree that needed um, to be, pruned and that there's a guy who's an arbor who works arborist who works by bike i think i've seen them yeah yeah that's yeah or uh, there's probably a fleet of different small businesses doing that actually it's probably nothing special i, I know i know I'm, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking yeah what what can buy what what what, what can be my side hustle by bike <laughs> um yeah. Well, was there anything else you wanted to chat about about this stuff, or do you want to sing a song for us? What do you think? Yeah. Um, 
I would, you know, we talked about, I showed you some songs. Let me, yes. let, let, let me make sure I, I covered all the different types of bike protesting really quick. <laughs> I, you know, there's just so many. <laughs> there are to, a lot. There know. are a lot. But there's, and, there's a lot of songs too, though. <laughs> there are, and I, yes, and they go well together, you know. Um, there, dude, there's more intersectionality here. <laughs> and, 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 oh, yeah, the pun is great, too. Yeah, um, I, I told you about some songs that I was interested in doing, and then I realized I got a new song I just, just wrote called Ride On. And so I. Sounds I, like it might be the right one for the occasion. Yeah. It, and it is, and it is kind of inspired by the by, by these times in some ways. Um, I could do that now, or later on, or you know, whenever you like. I think I think now is great. What do you oh, think, yeah, Armando? Now. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Okay. Ride on, stride on, be strong, ride on, ride on, stride on, and cry out your song. Get distracted by a silicon chip or an eagle chip crashing through your window pane. Don't get caught in a broken spell or forget to smell woods blowing in the wind, my friend. In the morning, if the sun comes up, you'll have another cup of a world full of pain. You can't be numbed down, won't be dumbed, cause you can't unwind what hasn't been sung, my friend. Right on. Stride on, be strong, ride on, ride on, ride on, and cry out your song. the shore you're gonna dig down deep cause you know you have some more my friend 
Right on, right on, right on, right on, right on, stride on and sing out your song. Oh, that was great. I don't know. I feel like I should applaud. There we go. <laughs> you know. That was... <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks. That was great. Thanks. Thanks. That was a nice, nice, uh, yeah, nice way to tie some of those things together. Um, so thanks for coming in and chatting with us today. Um, we have like other stuff to get through <laughs> for the <laughs> podcast. You are, you are not obligated by any means to stick around and listen to us do our, our business stuff. Um, I would love to listen to it. And, right. uh, yeah. And right. I, um, absolutely. And thank you for having me. I, I feel like I, I might've rambled here and there or whatnot, but uh you know, I just told myself at the beginning, I could just be yourself and do it, go for it. Right? I mean, I got to say, you're not having a conversation with me if nobody's rambling a little bit, because that's just, you know. Well, it's good rambling, because um, I'm not alone tonight on this recording. So there's some background noise that was very, worked out really well. Was that oh. your cuckoo clock, Armando? Was that just a cuckoo? I don't know. That was my cuckoo <laughs> clock. Oh, yes. was I, when Armando said he had background noise and then there was a cuckoo clock no that's my that's my i my grandfather's cuckoo clock which i just got repaired i absolutely (gasps) do this thing okay uh this has nothing to do with bikes but i need to know where you got your cuckoo clock (laughs) because i have broken cuckoo clock in my basement i would make a plug it will change your life you'll love it i swear (laughs) to god Larry's watch and clock repair. It's in the Fred Myers at, at Gateway, um, but it, it's his own little shop he has within the Fred Meyer jeweler, jeweler there at Gateway, and he is wow. awesome. Yeah. Well, this is the, I just did not expect that what I one of the things I would get out of this conversation was <laughs> tip on where to get my cuckoo clock repaired. <laughs> it was like in my house as a kid, and my dad, you know, downsized, and he was like. Who wants it? So yeah, do yourself a favor, get it fixed. It probably won't be that cheap because he's gonna have to clean and overhaul it, but you'll you'll be really happy. Yeah, I think it's one of those that goes off uh, every hour. So I don't know. We're gonna have to maybe hang it up in the basement or something for when it goes off in the middle of the night. Well, there is a way you can pull the weight off that does the sound. So right, right, we have these pine cones. Yeah. Yes, the pine. Well, you've probably got the same cuckoo clock. Uh, yeah, you pull it. You pull the weight off the pine cone that goes to the sound <laughs> machine, and there you go. It won't make any noise if, if you well, so want. Thanks for joining us for clock repair tips. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the clock podcast. <laughs> okay, so now this is when we need to take a moment to thank our nationally recognized top beer bar in Oregon beverage sponsor, the Beer Mongers on Southeast 12th and Division, um, open for more than 4,000 days consecutively, which is a lot of days. Uh, they have a patty outside the place, and if you're lucky, you might be able to catch some sports with sound. And um, there's a big stick indoor on the ceiling, and I have no idea what that's about, but apparently it's a thing. Um, and so, as always, thanks to them and to our generous Patreon donors that, that keep us going. So there's that part. 
<laughs> I'm terrible at these. Oh yeah, go ahead. Our calendar, our uh, calendar of events until things are a little bit safer. Um, and there's no mail this week that I know of, but we do have something fun, Joan. We do have something super fun. I am super excited about this, <laughs> and that is that. Um, so over the past few winters, one of the things that, you know, that gets dark at like, I don't know, 2 p.m.? No, not 2 p.m. What time does it get dark? Like 4.30 or 5 right now. And um, it can be a little bit dreary, and this winter is, is feeling a little bit bleak. But um, one of the things that I have really enjoyed doing the past few winters are these, um, you know, social rides at night. And Armando, you and I have done a couple where we've decorated our, our bikes with lights um, extra lights, not just, you know, headlights. Decorative lights. Decorative lights. And so I, uh, I have, I got a little string of mini disco lights and I put them on my bike last night. And I want to ask our listeners to like deck your bikes out with extra fun lights uh becky joe our guest from a few weeks ago was just talking about this on twitter um putting on you know whether they're christmas lights or hanukkah lights or solstice lights or safety lights or i you know i don't even know mutual aid lights like what a protest lights whatever kind of lights um we would love for our listeners to uh get some extra lights on their bike take a picture share it with us Oh, and we need a hashtag. So the hashtag for this, if you share it with us, is going to be um, Sprocket Winter Bike. Sprocket Winter Bike hashtag. So share it with us on, you know, any of our various social media. And um, show us your bike lights and we'll, you know, send a few folks some stickers or something. Something like that, if that's sufficiently motivating. But I am going to, I'm going to share this picture of my, my bike with a little, because I don't know, this winter is looking pretty bleak. We've got COVID raging around us. It's not a fun time. So let's get a little sparkle into yeah, our... Normally, um, there's a bike night at the Portland Winter Bike Festival or Winter Bike Lights. Yeah, at the, out at the raceway. Yeah, they're not having it this year. They're just having the, the cars. Oh, so they're letting the cars go and not letting the bikes go? Yeah, that's what I heard. I kind of want to protest that. Isn't that... There... <laughs> I was going to say, protest... We're going. It's the three of us now. We're going now. Like, they're not even open. <laughs> We're going over there. <laughs> Get off the computer. We're going. Um, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't... That, okay. I thought they just weren't doing it at all. But uh, anyway. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. I want to invite our listeners to, you know get some extra sparkly lights and you can just get like you can get the ones um the little led battery powered lights and then you can like what i did is i took the little battery pack and i put it in a ziploc baggie and i just basically taped it to the bottom of my bike rack to keep it out of the weather a little bit but but don't count on these lights lasting more than a few weeks they might (laughs) they're not really made for this use um yeah but share pictures with us that'll be fun and now we're going to move into some... Wait, Armando, are you going to decorate your bike? Wait, Armando, you're going to decorate your bike, right? Oh, yeah, totally. All right, okay. <laughs> and, and share pictures? <laughs> and share pictures. All right. Okay, headlines, headlines. What can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. It circles around the city lights. 
So I saw two articles this week. Um, the first one just uh, came out of uh, the Portland Independent Weekly Willamette Week. Um, the headline is, Black Portlanders are killed crossing the street at three times the rate of white pedestrians. Um, so there's early findings from a new study conducted by pedestrian advocacy organization Oregon Walks. They looked at traffic deaths from 2017 to 2019 in Portland. All 48 pedestrian fatalities during those three years were in neighborhoods with below median income, and 79% happened at night in areas without good street lighting, so in neighborhoods where the city hasn't spent as much on infrastructure to keep people safe. Um, an Oregon Walks board member said that the pedestrian deaths should be seen not as one-time accidents, but rather a result of a systemic problem faced by under-resourced neighborhoods and residents. Um, the full report will be released next year. Um, and this article was just another reminder of the multiple layers of oppression that some folks in our communities are facing. So that's... So when did that come out, that article? Um, that was just a few days ago, I think. Okay. I uh, maybe seen. even over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, it just, it just came out. So, yeah, November, yeah, just a few days ago. Um, and the other thing I read uh, was on a happier note, um, the New York Times had a, an editorial, how to build a better post-pandemic New York City. Um, so the editorial board was looking at how the city can reimagine its streets post-pandemic to be more than a way to move cars and trucks, and how the streets can also be used for outdoor dining by kids as a, as a play area for protests. Um, they want the city to do more to protect, protect pedestrians and reduce air pollution, and they called for a lot more bike lanes, which is really pretty cool to read in you know, the New York Times editorial board saying that. Um, so the article is um, about New York, but there are certainly lessons from this moment for many American cities. Um, Armando and Dan, are there any lessons from bike related lessons from this time in Portland that you hope we kind of hang on to? Well, I definitely like the idea of uh, some of the bikes, uh, bikeway streets being closed off to through traffic, basically. Um, at the beginning of uh, the pandemic when they started that. I know it was a little bit slow to get going, um, but once it got going, these streets, you know, traffic on the, the car traffic on the streets definitely slowed down, and it was used mostly for people, local people that lived in those areas. Uh, but now I'm starting to see that uh, the barricades are being pushed apart all the, all the way to the curb, basically. So there's nothing, you know, it's it's getting back to what it was, which is not preferable to me anyway yeah they need a little something more permanent for those to stick those those orange barrels aren't gonna aren't gonna last for very long yeah i noticed the ones nearby are the same same thing kind of pushed out of the way i like i I think that's good you know safer streets people using this people using the streets as the commons to exercise and take care of themselves in a safe manner I'd love to see that continue on. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. It does seem like, um, you know, in the spring for a while and maybe a little bit over the summer, uh, car traffic was hugely reduced. And uh, it seems like now, I mean, I don't, not that I've actually looked at official reports on this, but 
now it seems like it's all picked back up. Um, even as we know, lots of folks are still either unemployed or, or working from home, but there's a lot of cars out on the, out on the streets again. Um, all right, going into our outro. Armando, you want to sure. kick us I'm off? Music in my head. You're going to what? I'm playing the music in my head. Oh, you're playing the music in your head to help you sort of like... And of course, people listening might be hearing music and they'll be like, why are you doing that in your head, Armando? We can, we can hear the music just fine. <laughs> <laughs> the Sprocket Podcast was formerly produced at X-Ray FM Studios. Thanks, X-Ray. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams, at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music that's playing in Armando's head. I can hear it. (laughs) Herbert for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lean, Richard Wasensky, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss, Weiss, Weiss. Sorry, sorry, Eric. Sorry. Todd Parker, Chris <laughs> Smith, Caleb Jenkinson, JP Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar, Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna, Andrew Johnson, or excuse me, Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw. Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Regranary. Campsite, Mac Nurse David Nathan Poulton. Rory in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay. Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, EJ Finneran. Brad Hipwell, Thomas Cadeau. Skado, Skado. Sorry, everybody. Oh, sorry, just tell Thomas. us. Just call us. I, I don't know if I've ever read your name before. <laughs> if we are butchering your name, please tell us so we can oh, get yeah. right. <laughs> um, Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Jason Optenberg, Microcosm Publishing. Happy birthday, Joe. David Moore. Todd Grossbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris Barron. John Baird, Simon Case, Gregory Breakway. Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna. That hey, that's me. <laughs> Matthew Rooks. Cacau. Marshall, Paula Punataki Sepulchraft. Philip M. Spartandale, no relation. Mr. T, who never really left. Bike, Ignici- oh, bike Initiative. Kiwana. 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 <laughs> Mr. T, who never really left. Bike Initiative Kiwana. Sarah G. Uh, Adam D, go dig a hole. Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy. Myra Martinez, also. Isaac M. David Christensen, 503. Brian Patterson, Kristen Graham, Aaron G., Rachel Moline. And welcome back to our newest and returning donor, Jimmy Diesel. And all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now wash your hands. And wear your mask. All right. Well, that's it. We did it. We did it, Armando. You and me, without any of the, you know, without... And it's still recording. I was watching the recording thing. I know. It's still recording, and we don't have Guthrie or Brock or Aaron bossing (laughs) us around and telling us what to do. Our takeover is complete, except that 
except that Brock's going to be editing this. <laughs> uh, 